Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Ladies, hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne Amashabuski Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has got a website, an official website. It's called The Blade of Perseus. Its web address is victorhanson.com, and I'll tell you about that later and why you should be subscribing. Victor, there's a number of woke topics to talk about today, and then we'll get into a little Biden immigration policy uh, if we have time towards the end. But I think we need to start off today's episode by getting your thoughts on the Southern Poverty Law Center. And we'll get to that right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. It's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or... Visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, What's your secret? Begin by ordering your at home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, I'm looking at a Washington Examiner piece, and it's titled, Southern Poverty Law Center Goes After Parental Groups. And here's the first two short paragraphs of this article. On this year's hate map hate map and quote year in hate and and extremism end quote report the southern poverty law center included 230 chapters of moms for liberty 12 chapters of parental rights and education and many local chapters of u.s parents involved in education an entire section of the splc report is dedicated to the quote assault on inclusive education end quote which begins by comparing the condition of education debates in 1960 to those in 2022 it then goes on to list some of these groups ideas that are supposedly akin to those of neo-Nazis, things such as saying critical race theory is anti-American and supporting a ban on gender identity and sexual orientation instruction for children in kindergarten through third grade. You know, truly shocking stuff. Victor, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is corrupt in its own way, has this undue oversized influence because Many other organizations and businesses look at their, you know, their their hate list. Oh, you're on a, you're on the Southern Poverty Law Center hate list. Uh, we shouldn't invest in you. Or if you're one of these donor advised thrums, funds through maybe Fidelity or Vanguard, sometimes well, you no, we can't give to that group because they're on the SPLC hate list. Uh, that, they, their influence is massive. Well, that's why it is. It's got the Jesse Jackson formula that if you're a corporate, if you're a corporation, just like when Jesse Jackson would threaten to boycott Toyota or something, he became fabulously wealthy, his rainbow coalition, because what anti-poverty. And then you say, well, you know what? I don't want that guy in my back. Here's a million bucks. So the Southern Poverty Law Center has that list that apparently means a lot in liberal America or it's a taboo to be on it, that you're discriminatory. So they to shield you, you give them money. And it's a very highly refined. I guess it's a shakedown process. You know, it was started by that Morris Dees. I remember Julian Bond in the early 70s. And the idea was that it was going to continue on an economic front. the civil rights movement, it was kind of bogus because already then they were starting not about equal opportunity, but mandated equity. But it's kind of like the Holy Roman Empire that Voltaire said, it's not holy, it's not Roman, it's not empire. So it's not really Southern. It's everywhere. Uh, to give an example of what I mean, I spoke at the American Freedom Alliance about five years ago on immigration. And they put they send out people incognito you know to hear things and there was one of their operatives and then the next day i was told i was a racist and then i wrote an article about it pointed out that would they please tell me exactly what i said and then i just never heard from them again but that's their operation they send out people all over to monitor things and then they just glide that some people who are conservative are racist and some people who are liberal May, if they say blatantly racist things like Joe Biden, remember, have you ever heard the Southern Poverty Law Center say, 
we oppose and abhor Joe Biden because he gave the eulogy on the death of uh, one of the eulogies on the death of Strong Thurman and Robert Byrd, or he praised segregationist James Eastland, or he talked about a racial jungle if busing went through, called two of his assistants boys, put you all back in chains, hey, junkie. Hey, you ain't black. Hey, Barack Obama, you're the first articulate. You could go on. Hey, everybody, in, you can't go into a donut shop without seeing an Indian. All that stuff. Did they ever say, you know what? This is just too egregious. We're going to cite it. No, they don't. And that's not what they're there for. They're there for getting, you know, I don't know what they get, $130 billion, a million dollars a year. They got a huge endowment. They, you know, huge it's, endowment. it's like yeah. $400, $500 million. It's huge. And of course, they they accuse everybody, and then we find out that this white male privilege, raging supremacist Morris Dees had been what systematically sexually harassing women that were in his employment, and they accused him, not me, not right. me, but they accused him not just of sexual harassment but racial harassment that this white person was using his position, quote, unquote, a power to establish, quote, unquote, a hostile workplace, quote, unquote, to coerce younger women, uh, either to embarrass them sexually or racially or to coerce them in asymmetrical power or sexual relationship. So that, I don't think they have any credibility at all, but they're daring, they're very dangerous. And you don't want to be on their list, apparently, and they use that to frighten people. But they have nothing to do, as I said, using the Voltaire quip. They're not Southern. They don't have anything really to do with poverty. They're very wealthy, as we just mentioned. They have all this money. They go. They deal with corporations of the same class. It's their money versus corporate money. And most of the corporations are left wing now anyway. And they don't have right. much to do with the law. It's mostly political activism, and they're not a center of anything. It's just a, I don't know, it's a quid pro quo leveraging organization. I, but the I, center is actually, they're a legal jurisprudence research think tank. No, you're not. <laughs> I love when you do that mockery thing, Victor. You know, my, uh, my desire is that, that conservative media instead of just generally being content with uh, pontificating, would assign some writers in a project on a thing like this. Uh, uh, what? Who are the companies donating? Who are the, What are the corporate foundations? What are the donor advised funds that are that are kowtowing to this place that oh, I would imagine moms know. with uh, with uh, Nazis, you know, don't, don't you think they if we had the confidential donors list that we would start to see names like Disney and Target and Anheuser-Busch, American Airlines, all of those people probably. Yeah, well, I don't even know that it'd be confidential. I think you can find on the foundations, the corporate foundations have to list who they're giving money to. Yeah. And I assume a lot of them are giving money to this this racket. Um, so, well, anyway, that's uh, that's my wishful thinking and um, I'm entitled to it. So, Victor, let's... Uh, Let's talk about some some woke professor in Ohio. So here's another another one of those, huh? Yeah, well, they they're, they are plentiful. They uh, sprout like mushrooms after every rain. Yeah, well, it's pouring then. 
So this is a headline from the Daily Mail. University of Cincinnati gender studies professor, who's 28 <laughs> years old, defends giving students zero, a zero grade for using the phrase biological woman. And the, the, the professor brags about failing students who offend her woke beliefs on gender and race. That's a headline. Let me just read the first few sentences of this story. A gender studies professor has proudly boasted of failing students who do not adhere to her, to her hyper-woke beliefs after a student complained of receiving a zero grade for a paper that used the term biological woman. Melanie Rose Nipper, a 28-year-old adjunct professor of sexuality studies at the University of Cincinnati, vehemently stood by her grading practices Thursday. This is two days ago from when we're recording. She did so after student Olivia Kralzik, not a guy, complained about being failed for using the previously uncontroversial term biological woman, now branded offensive over claims it excludes trans women. Nipper told the Cincinnati Inquirer that her support of free speech ends when, quote, you are intentionally or unintentionally participating in a systemic harm of some kind. I love that word, systemic. That means you can't find any evidence. So it's like error. It's everywhere. But only certain people with detection abilities can find out that it's systemic. There's systemic oxygen in the air. You don't know it, but we can find it. Well, Well, uh, I I mean, first of all, you know, when I was an academic at Cal State, there were and there were professors of sexuality. I remember a very successful one, and they were either in the psychology department or the biology department. And their research was things like, what are the causes of impotence? Or what uh, what is the role of sexual intercourse for happiness or depression? Or what are the physical, mental interplays between sexuality? But it, it, that's disappeared. It's all gender, 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 gender. That word was not even used. It was sex. And it's all about now gender fluidity, etc. The other thing is, you know, and I know in Canada, the United States, if a professor had said to the class, if you are not a Christian and you do not espouse Christian views in your paper, I'm going to give you a zero. They would be out on their ass in two seconds. They, and everybody knows that. So it's all a it's all about gender. It's all asymmetrical. And then there's not there's an issue about what's not being taught. You know, if you go back and look, I, I was looking the other day at a Stanford University catalog in the 50s and the 40s. And there was about 10 disciplines. There were mathematics, there were physics, there was engineering. There was biology, there was literature, there was English, there was history. There wasn't any word in the entire catalog called studies, not one. No gender studies, no race studies, no Latino studies, no black studies, no Asian studies, no leisure studies, no environmental studies, no peace studies. All of those areas, to if they're legitimate avenues of inquiry, can just be incorporated under philosophy or or biology or something. But we've fragmented the university into these. uh, They're not disinterested. They're not empirical. These advocacies uh, in the popular culture, comic books, movies, whatever. And we've we've given them this academic cachet to make them look scholarly or important. They're not. They're just a bunch of people BSing about gender. 
and trying to, you know, bully people in to adopt the idea there's three sexes or people are fluid and they don't know what they want to do at any given time with what type of sexual activity. So that's what they're all about. And it's bastardized they- universities. And you know what? The Chinese, we our big problem in the world is that there's a 1.4 billion Chinese and in matters of trade and matters of military readiness in matters of imperialism in matters of subverting international institutions and in matter of interfering with the united states internal politics they are past masters and they encourage this stuff they love it they have three hundred eighty thousand students over here they're they're not taking they don't send a chinese student child of a communist party member to study gender studies at stanford believe me they're all in the engineering department, the math department, the computer science department. And so we are spending trillions of dollars of capital, labor, investment, time in chasing our tails. We're fighting over what he said or she said in the workplace at the uh, water cooler. We're talking about whether there was a microaggression, whether you this person didn't use the right pronoun, this person didn't capitalize black. And it's just a complete wastage of our resources. Why our elemental enemies are not doing that. And they want us to do that. Kind of reminds me, I, I might have mentioned that metaphor before, you know, in 1453, Constantinople, contrary to popular historical consensus, was not doomed. They had 7,000 soldiers plus a population of 50,000 vastly diminished but of that 50 25,000 were kind of militia that were repairing the walls providing ammunition to the frontline fighters and there was about 100,000 Turks but they had the most impressive fortifications in the world the Theodician walls and I'm just thinking of that the other day when you had Vienna 1683 siege of Vienna until the pole Calvi came down, they were almost beaten, but they only had 20,000. They only had 13,000 more than was at Constantinople. And they didn't have the, the walls of Vienna. I've seen them. They don't even compare with the walls of Constantinople. And they won. They resisted that siege. And, and why did the, why did the, Greeks and the Byzantines not, you know what they were fighting about? They were fighting over orthodoxy. They were fighting over formulaic expressions of the Holy Trinity. They were fighting. Exactly. They were fighting about, can we restore, can we heal the great schism? They were still some bastardized iconoclast. They were doing all of this stuff when people were, even the emperor, Constantine XI said, can't we just for once heal our differences with the Western church and bring in, you know, 50,000 Italians or some of the best fighters in the world and bring them in and save this, you know, this bulwark of Christendom. No. And that's what we're doing. We're doing all of these woke, silly stuff, reparations. Whoa, we have $35 billion. How can we pay you 800 billion? Well, we'll take it on installment for what, for what? And, that's what we're doing. And I don't know if we're going to make it if we continue to do this. We're going to have to have some radical leader who comes in. And I hope it's a Demo- uh, a Republican comes in and they have control of the House. And unlike last time we did it, George W. Bush had control of the House and the Senate. So did Donald Trump the first two years. 
But you have to strike when you have that power. I hope that Republicans can do that. And then they're going to say you'd violate the code of military uniform code of military justice and you call your commander Mussolini. You're going to you're going to you're going to pay for that because that's against the law. You go in and you lie under oath, Mr. McCabe or Mr. M Mr. Comey or Mr. Brent, you're going to pay for that. that's against the law. And Mr. Fauci. You lie on on and you're not transparent. You're going to be fired. You're going to have to really get tough and follow the law. I don't mean tough in the vindictive way. I mean, follow the statute and be symmetrical and say, I'm going to prosecute this person for this particular crime, but I'm going to do it across the board. So if some Republican grandee conservative goes into Congress and lies his head off, he's going to be prosecuted. Not the stuff that we see. I don't know if we're up to it, but that's the only thing that's going to save us. You have to have a leader that says, you know what? I don't care if you hate me. More power to you. You do your worst. I'll do my best. No Twitter, no bat, you know, horse face stormy like Trump was doing. Just get down to business. Get even. Don't get mad. And and because it's really it's 11th hour. Yeah. Victor, it might be nice also in this back in the University of Cincinnati to see uh, uh, Ohio as a state with Republican governor, Republican legislature. Why don't they cut off funds? I don't to, know why they uh, don't. Institutions that engage in this sort of. Uh, I guess it's because of the courts. There's so many liberal justices, state and federal, that they go to court and say it's a civil rights issue. Well, and the courts are, you know, they're really led up part of the legislature now. So it's hard. That was what I think, in fairness to Trump, when they say, well, you know, Ann Coulter will attack him every day. They didn't build the wall, but he redid 500 miles of the faulty wall, which wasn't a wall. It was a rickety fence. So when they said, oh, he only fixed the old wall. No, he built a new wall because the old one was worthless. But the, the remaining seven or eight hundred miles. It wasn't that he just said, I don't want to buy it, build it. It was that people in the Defense Department said, we're not going to use defense funds. And then there were thousands of lawsuits that tied him up in court. You can't tell me that Stephen Miller didn't want to build the wall. Right. He just he didn't have the power to do it, even though they controlled the Senate and the House. They got tied up in court. Hey, Victor, uh, before we head to a break and some other topics, I'm just curious uh, in your career as a as a full time Professor, while these uh, uh, studies departments were emerging, uh, were were the were the type of professors and teachers who were, you know, women's studies, etc., different uh, collectively? If you can paint with a broad brush here, were they a different type than would be in yes. other, the more standard yeah. historical departments? What? They're like so, different. The difference between a first generation antihistamine and a second generation. In other words, they were pretty upfront. They were feminists that came out of the Betty Friedman movement of the 1960s and 70s. And when you dealt with them, they were starting women's studies. It was all basically nuts and bolts. They wanted equal money for equal pay. And in Title IX, as I said, they wanted women to have the same expenditures per capita as men. You can argue that wasn't that was unrealistic, but they did not say we want to have an equestrian team 
And then we want to get a bunch of male cowboys that have transitioned to dominate it, if you know what I mean. Or they had women's basketball. They almost nobody. I, I want to be very careful. They, they Women's softball, they won the national title. They were very popular, had huge crowds. But women's basketball, for some reason, didn't draw very well. But they didn't say we need to have biological males that have transitioned. And none of that it didn't exist. The, the, there were people who were transgendered, but it was different. And so they they were they were had been trained. The second thing to remember about these women's studies, there was a professor. I'll give you an example, Lillian Faderman. And she really started women's studies at Cal State Fresno. But the point about her was that she was an English professor and was classically trained in literature. So if you talk to Lillian Faderman uh, about Shakespeare or Milton or any of the class, she would know them. The problem with these generations, they were taught by gender studies and female professors in the activist mode. So. They don't know anything. They just know activism. I found that I was a chairman of the general education committee for, I think, three years. And people came in. We had a critical thinking component. Just think of that. The state was so worried under Pete Wilson that people were not objective thinkers. So they mandated in the Cal State system of 23 university, biggest university system in the world, you know, 25,000 faculty. At that time, we had over 400,000 students. I think it's up to a million now. But anyway, we had to examine every course in the general education to see if it had a critical. And I remember a, a new young woman came in about 30, and she was a new gender studies. And she was not class. She was the first generation that had been only took gender studies in school. They had been established long enough. And she, she had her syllabus. And I said, this is not critical thinking. You start with a premise. You start with conclusion Z, and then you work back to evidence A. It's all deductive. The purpose is to tell the student how to think, not to give alternatives and arguments for each and let them make up their own. And that was the big, for me, that was a watershed. It was true of all these disciplines. In classical studies, I, I know people, Jack Winkler, David Halpern, all these people who were gender studies or... What was, you know, homosexuality in ancient Greece or the sexual ambiguity of the cult of Aphrodite at Ephesus or whatever, something like that. But the point was that they came through that system and they knew Greek and Latin and they could write in Greek and Latin and they had read Herodotus in Greek and they knew what archaeology, numismatics and epigraphic studies were, but epigraphy, but not the people they taught. So then the next generation of classicists. And so I got it got so bad right before I retired. If I had an opening, we hired six classicists. I would ask students, uh, applicants just to read Caesar or Lysias, Lysias in Greek, and they couldn't do it. And then I got I was told by one candidate they were going to cite me because you're not supposed to do that, apparently. Put them well, on the spot. Supposed to really? No. Yeah, I guess that was American. We even changed the name of the American Philological Association, the APA. Now, you know, it was, it was considered too discriminatory because it asked people to know Greek and Latin. So yes. my point is this generation that's so arrogant, if you took any English department at Yale or Harvard or Stanford and that person in that field was under 50 and you asked them, 
you you took them and then you took their two generations earlier from the 1960s or 70s, still left wing, really left wing. And you ask that person to talk to this other person. You ask them questions. Who was uh, what is Spencer's fairy queen? Uh, even novels, if you said sun also rises or can't go home again, or what were the titles of Conrad's six major novels, they wouldn't know. This generation would not know. But those guys, I had respect for them. I was trained by them. I was trained by, you know, uh, John Lynch or Mary Kay Gamble or Gary Miles when I was an undergraduate, and they were all left wing. Victor, I'm going to ask you to be a psychiatrist here some more. If you is the arrogance a manifestation of a knowledge ignorant. That, that, of yeah, I'm ignorant? Yeah, it, yeah, it is. There's connect. That was a very. Uh, that's a theme in all Sophoclean plays of hubris that Oedipus is charged with being arrogant, but he's ignorant of what's happening, and that's the same thing with even Antigone in a little bit hubris, but. Most people in our modern society that are so uh, quick to judge and to pontificate, they're stupid. I, I was watching Rachel Maddow last night. So here we are in the conservative side. And we believe that this indictment was a mechanism to get rid of Donald Trump. At least, I, when I say get rid of him, I'm not sure whether they want to hemorrhage him as a living corpse candidate. But it's unfair to him, and you, they do not want him to be president. But I don't know the timing. I don't know. I don't think they want to so demolish him that he drops out, and then you get a Haley or, De, or DeSantis or some other candidate. I think they want him to be nominated, and they feel that he will be a viable candidate, but he will be so hemorrhaging from Ritz and delays and gag orders that they can control the tempo and then ensure that he will lose in the general. That's their plan. But I didn't think anybody would explicitly say that uh, or, or, or they hate him so much they want it. But Rachel Maddow, who thinks she's so smart, I think she was a Rhodes Scholar, such as they are today. And she was pontificating on her show and, and waving her hand, you know, all this. And then she just said... Don't you think to a guest, don't, don't you think that at some point, can you envision uh, federal prosecutors saying to Donald Trump that we're going to drop these charges if you get out of the race and quit politics? And that bang, that was it. What a stupid person to do that. She just gave the whole game away for all that sophistication and veneer of not right. knowing. She just was so arrogant. She had to get down to the brass tacks that they're doing all of this to destroy a political candidate. What does that matter, Rachel, whether he's a presidential candidate or not? The law is a law or is a law. When Alvin Bragg right. comes into office and Donald Trump is there and he says there's nothing there. And he doesn't indict him. And then when Donald Trump says, I'm going to be running for president, and suddenly he's got 30-something indictments, that's not the law. And so when you say that, you're suggesting that they can measure, massage the law, and to calibrate it on whether Donald Trump is a candidate. And that was the purpose, to make sure that you should say, if you really believe that he's guilty and you really hate his guts, you should say, you could have posed the question, you know, well... He's a candidate, and it won't do any good to say that he's not going to run. They're going to go after him as a private citizen because that's the law. But she couldn't even do that. 
She was so stupid. And that's what the left did. They're arrogant and they're they're not stupid. But I would look back at my professors and I, I never entered my my mind when I was a student or afterwards that I disagreed politically with John Lynch or Mary Carey, my two mentors that taught me Greek as an undergraduate in Latin. It was always, wow. They didn't. I I filtered out their politics, but not in class. I had no idea what they were. They were superb right. teachers. They treated everybody the same. They were wonderful. They were wonderful. They, they really changed my life. UC Santa Cruz professors, believe it or not, for a left wing lunatic school, their <laughs> classics department was wonderful and it was traditional and it was language, 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 grammar, syntax, philology, morphology, metrics. It was and it was not just esoteric. And then when I went to Stanford, they were all left wing. But that PhD program, man, those they were all Europeans, left wing Europeans. And you know what? what? They, they knew Greek and Latin like they did English. Then I can remember Lionel Pearson going to a class and in a very thick British accent talking and we had to take dictation. And I couldn't understand his English, but we had to take dictation <laughs> and write it out in English. And then he said, I'll be back in 10 minutes. And you had to translate it into Greek. And then he would come in and say, I'll be back in 10 minutes, translate it into Latin. And that's the type of expertise they had. And they trained us, yeah. but there was no politics. Yeah, you could and not do that today. I no, 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 no. And even my thesis advisor, Michael Jameson, was a hardcore leftist. When he visited, he wouldn't visit me when I returned to Stanford at the Hoover Institution. He said, I can't set foot in there. I'm sorry, Victor. We'll have to have neutral ground. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, but as yeah. far as his and I don't I don't think he was particularly fond of me, but that didn't influence. He was a masterful pro stylist. So what if I turned in a paper or, or uh, he would correct the style and he was very br brilliant guy. And I, you know, it was hard working with him. He had idiosyncratic ideas, but. He was he was one of those things. Same. All of them were that way. And I really yes. appreciate it. But the people that were left wing that came out of that, then they didn't teach that type of expertise to the next generation. By the third generation, which we have now in the university, they have no knowledge of that. And so yeah. if you have no knowledge and you can't do it and you're at Princeton or you're at Howard University, then you just abolish the language requirement. You say, you know what? Greek's racist. It's just a it's just a construct of all these wealthy white people to hurt us. So we're going to and then they don't even know their own history. You know, Frank Snowden, a black classicist, was one of the best professors there was in the field in like 1968 at Howard University. He made that department, but they don't they don't even know who he is. They don't know his expertise. The best Latin professor, Jack, I ever had as far as knowledge of Latin it was a tie uh, between Michael Wagotsky and Gregson Davis. Gregson Davis was from Antigua, African American, and I taught he he taught me Latin composition, how to write in Latin, and he had a sense of humor, and he was witty. But my God, he knew Latin. He knew it backwards and forwards. And I would write an essay, and I'd turn it in, and he'd say, "This is really good, but seventy percent of that vocabulary is not found in Cicero." <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't put the don't sneak those Caesarian uh, phrases in there, Victor. And and I, I say that thing right there is a poeticism from Livy. That's not good Latin. <laughs> That's the kind of expertise. And then he would say, you know what? Every once in a while, I li I'd like you to finish that sentence with a hexameter. 
in, wow. in, in prose, in prose. So your prose Latin had to end in hex manner. And he goes, you got too much hiatus. Don't you know that you don't end a word with a vowel and start with another one? What did you learn that, Victor? <laughs> that was the kind of person he was. He was very left-wing. He was a wonderful. He was a saintly guy. I, yeah. That's what I get upset about academia. It's this politics. I don't believe them, Jack. I don't believe it's sincere. I think it's an excuse to be lazy and not have any ap- academic expertise and just go in there and rant and rave about narratives and you, me, me, me. I, I, I do because I've seen these people and they don't. Yeah. Well, we're suffering and we'll continue. Hey, Victor, we got have to take a, a break here when we get back from it. Uh, we'll talk a little. We have two things to bring up. One is some early on censorship of uh, outlier candidates in 2024. And then, believe it or not, some Biden administration hypocrisy. Hard to believe they could be hypocrites on the border. And we'll get to your thoughts on these matters right after these important messages. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I would like to encourage our listeners to visit Victor Hanson's website, The Blade of Perseus, victorhanson.com. That's where you go. And when you go there, you'll find links to many things, Victor's appearances on other podcasts and other radio shows, the archives for these podcasts, his syndicated column, his major pieces for American greatness. And you'll also find his ultra pieces. And those are the articles he writes exclusively for the website three times a week. So there's a a lot of original content that you can't get anywhere else. You need to subscribe in order to read them. And if you're a fan of Victor's writings, you've got to subscribe. It's five bucks to get in the door, $50 uh, for a year right now that when we're we're recording this podcast, Victor's got a three-part series up called Signs of Decay, Fears of Decline. It's wonderful, as is all that he writes. So VictorHanson.com. If you're on Facebook, visit the um, Victor Davis Hanson fan club. It's not affiliated with Victor officially, but good people run it and you might enjoy it. If you're on Twitter at VD Hanson, that's Victor's handle. Give him a follow for me, Jack Fowler. I write uh, civil thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter 
for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, and we are we are passionate about strengthening civil society. And my newsletter comes out every Friday. I give uh, twelve to fourteen recommended readings. I came across this came across this great essay in uh, City Journal, and here's a link, and here's a few paragraphs. I think you'll like it. It's free. We don't rent the lists uh, to anyone. You're so we're we're not we're not trying to. There's no setup here. So anyway, you go to civilthoughts.com and sign up for that, and uh, I know you'll like it. Victor, um, in the Wall Street Journal this past week, Jed Rubenfeld, who is a uh, Yale Law professor and a First Amendment professor, has an interesting piece. It's called The Censorship Machine is Running in 2024. I think it's already up and running. Here's the first paragraph or two. Uh, He writes, Meta... The the uh, face Facebook slapped a 180 slapped 180 day suspensions last week on the Instagram accounts of people working for Democrat uh, Robert F Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign. That before a single message has been posted from those accounts. This came shortly after LinkedIn shut down Republican candidate Vivek Ramaswamy's account, apparently for expressing disfavored opinions on China. And climate change. This censorship, writes Jet uh, Rubenfeld, should worry anyone who cares about democracy in America. It isn't only anti-democratic, it's a thumb on the scale that could easily tip a tightly contested election. Victor, um, your thoughts on the ongoing and maybe relentless, maybe it's never going to end, censorship of uh, uh, inappropriate uh, uh, pol- politicians, and who would have thought of all people, Robert F. Kennedy, who's, who, by the way, I've seen him in some polls at like 20% against Biden. Uh, I'm not president of his fan club, uh, Kennedy, but uh, I guess, you know, if he's if he's being perceived somehow as a threat to Biden, the lords of the major social media platforms are going to try and shut him up. I mean, we've been down this road before with Donald Trump. Anyway, Victor, very interesting column. It's, it's, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of amazing because Robert Kennedy Jr. has been out of politics for years. He has no constituency. He has no office. Uh, he hasn't been an activist. He has a voice disorder that is, I think it's an autoimmune disorder that he, he, he sounds like he has no vocal cords, which is, uh, this is essential for a politician. You have to be a rhetorician. So he comes in there with challenges and yet, he has he has no money. I knew you say, well, he's a Kennedy. Well, the Kennedy fortune has been filtered out with hundreds of relatives by this point, and it's fourth generation or third, fourth generation, I suppose, maybe even fifth. But my point is that it's amazing that he's pulling that high, and it shows you that there's a lot of people, maybe in the Democratic Party, left, center, and right, that don't like this stuff, this woke stuff, because he's kind of an old throwback to his father's generation. And then that, and I can relate to some of it because my parents were, they weren't liberal Democrats, but they were conservative Democrats. And that party doesn't exist. It brings, it bears no relation to what we see today. And so he, what he's, he's trying to say things, you know, be careful about big pharma and be careful about vaccine mandates. You know, this MRNA vaccine did not have the same, uh, testing period that we usually 
demand of pharmaceuticals and be be very careful of some of these uh, pushes and advocacy of Paxlovid and all these other uh, big pharma supposedly viable cures for COVID when there's other ones that are off-label or natural that probably are just effective or be careful of the lockdown. Or maybe we need to make sure we have I think at one time he was involved with bringing oil, wasn't even Venezuela to people in people in New York. He's his um, cousin, cousin, his cousin, I suppose, the former congressman from Boston was uh, was a whose whose wife was in. Maybe his wife committed suicide. No, his that wife was, committed suicide. Wasn't it? I thought it was his wife committed suicide. She it did, but then he had, he had the marriage. He had the marriage. He's yeah. got a lot of problems. I mentioned yeah. his voice. I mentioned he yeah. hasn't. A, and then when he gets, if he gets up to twenty five, they're going to destroy him. They're going to go back to his past and say, you know, you made your wife have an annulment. You got another girl, woman. Uh, did we place her? And they're going to. They're going to tear him to pieces because they're vicious. But the other thing that I think he's up against is people have to just wipe clean their memory banks of the word Democrat. It doesn't exist. They're not Democrats. They're not progressives. They're woke revolutionaries. They're French Jacobins. They're basically Bolsheviks. And they believe in power and they believe in destroying people. They're monopolists. These are not people that are, you know, in the old, even the old racist Woodrow Wilson progressive movement that want to break up, you know, the trust, break up J.P. Morgan's financial, break up uh, the Rockefeller's uh, oil monopoly, break up the vertical integration of Carnegie. No, 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 no. Google buys out 200 companies a day at their height. Facebook owns everything. They all have market shares that by any classical definition are monopolies and cartels and trusts. They believe in absolute power and stifling competition. They're not civil liberties people. If the American Civil Liberties Union of the 1950s and 60s were alive, they'd be in constant warfare with these people. I didn't... uh, support the American civil liberties, but you got to give them credit. They were not biased. They defended Nazis if they had. They defended anybody, porno people, anybody, left, right, and they went to excesses. But nevertheless, they had a consistency. These people in the ACLU are not that way. They want to suppress conservative traditionalist expression. And so when you put all that money, $9 trillion of market capitalization in Silicon Valley, and you give them monopoly control of the means of communication. And we're looking on the horizon of artificial intelligence whose coding will be written by these people and controlled by it. We're up against it. We really are. And we saw that with the FBI. The story about the FBI and Silicon Valley was not just that James Comey's FBI was paying Twitter. And we know by extension, Mark Zuckerberg admitted that paying or he said that they were involved, $3 million to be a contractor that wouldn't be subject to government regulations and could suppress free expression for the sole purpose of helping Joe Biden and probably earlier uh, Hillary Clinton. The story was that 
chief counsel for the FBI. I don't know why we need a chief counsel, Jack. There's, I thought the Department of Justice was full of chief counsel, lawyers everywhere. But I don't know why you have. But they made about, you know, a couple hundred thousand. He goes over and sets up the Twitter FBI deal. And then he retires when he gets a little controversy. And he makes $8 million a year. And that's all of these people, that EPA person under Obama, the disgrace, she used that pseudonym to tweet things as if she was a pro- she goes over to Apple. They all go over there. It's kind of like the civilian counterpart to the defense contractors. You go in as Lloyd Austin from Raytheon, your secretary of defense, you, he'll go back to Lloyd Austin at Raytheon. Well, same thing with Democratic administrations. They draw from Silicon Valley and then they. They scamper back home and get more money for their expertise and their lobbying potential. It's a very corrupt system, and it's very scary because they're monopolists and they have a lot of money and power. And what's even more scary about it, scarier, I should say, is the Republicans have no clue how to deal with it. They they don't have the money. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the resources. They right. And I'm when speaking, you try to set up uh, an alternative like Parler, uh, no, you they just they they squash that. Right. Parler basically it was Google and Amazon and Apple got on the phone, the three of them, and they said, "You know what? What's our market share of apps?" And they probably said ninety percent. Let's just shut them down, and they will have no ability to have anybody get on an app, and that's the end of them. And then they said. Probably to themselves, if they file an antitrust suit or they sue us, what do you think the parlier people are worth? Not what we're worth. We probably have assets of nearly a trillion, two, three, four trillion dollars. We'll squash them. And he did. And, and so finally, you know, parlier would almost went broke and then had to kind of beg to come back under different auspices and they let them back on their app under their conditions. And that's what they do. And I, I I think that's why they win elections. The left wins elections now. And they can, you know, you put 419 Republicans are out there bragging that uh, a big philanthropist gives them 5 million or 6 million, not 419 million. Right. Like Mark Zuckerberg right. to absorb the work of registrars in key precincts in the last election. More drop boxes. Oh, we'll hire our guys. We'll train them how to do mail in and ballot curing and and third party vote harvesting. So we don't know what we're up against. I think on the money front, Victor, it's got to be a scale of a thousand to one. Uh, just uh, well, it's, it's the wealth. They, they outspent Trump by over a billion dollars in the last. And well, they're that, in, yeah, but that's in, in, in a specific campaign, but their nefariousness through the culture, through the, the you know, I think 19 of the top 20 foundations in america are left wing you got to you got to see what they did under obama we were working to a racially irrelevant society we were pursuing martin luther's martin luther king junior's dream of content of our character not the color of our saying your persona is incidental your persona race is incidental to your it's not essential to your persona that's where we were and then Obama came along and cooked up the idea that he thought because of declining birth rates and immigration, that the so-called white population was only 70 percent, no longer 90 percent. He was accurate in that. And then he said, you know what, we're going to go back to the one drop rule. Anybody who has one drop of non-white blood will be a 
eligible for affirmative action and they are and they're now people of color and mixed race are people of color and there's no such thing as class and we're all in a binary now and we have 30 percent and these people who are 70 percent except the bicoastal elite who are the good white supremacists the good white privilege the good right white rages they're going to destroy you unless you vote for us and they racialized the entire political system so that we had this ridiculous situation where, uh, you know, a guy driving a garbage truck or a plumber who's making very little out here in the San Joaquin Valley who happened to be Mexican-American or an Asian mail carrier or uh, a black mechanic suddenly thought they had the exact same interest as Don Lamone and Oprah and Mar Meghan Markle. And the same thing as the white elite of Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein and Barbara Boxer. They were all the same because they all agreed on this racially, this racially obsessed fixation. It was really strange what they did. It, it really changed politics and it, it really sidetracked what had been a, a good trajectory toward integration, assimilation incorporation intermarriage all the good right. things that were happening right. and they destroyed it well and more perfect union means we were an imperfect union but there's no question it was becoming better i've talked about uh, who cares about my life but growing up in new york city in the 60s and 70s and on a daily basis you could cut the racial tension with a knife and just no question it it had gotten uh, much better and then uh and then barack as you have explained um victor we have time for one more topic and that's about the biden administration uh now uh, preaching to us ab about the safety of of uh immigrants being transported around the country and we'll get to that and your thoughts on that right after this final important message <laughs> Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, on um, I saw this on Twitter. I know it's been reported on widely. Uh, the White House uh, spokesperson, Karine Jean Pierre, your favorite person, laments. She was lamenting the other day about uh, how I think DeSantis had had sent some uh, put some as he did last year flying some illegal immigrants to uh, Martha's Vineyard or, or um, 
Nantucket, I forget which island now. Anyway, some were put on plane and flown to Sacramento. And Jean-Pierre says, this is uh, this is dangerous and une unacceptable. You're putting people's lives at risk. This this administration that, uh, how many, uh, let's, I wonder how many illegal Im immigrants have died uh, crossing the Rio Grande or, or uh, while they're in, you know, alleged protection of the United States government. Um, no concern for their lives in this regard. No concern for them being, you know, hostage to these coyotes that transport them in trucks and leave them to die in deserts, etc. But if you put you put them on a plane and send them to Sacramento, that's a bad thing. Also, Victor, kind of weirdly related, New York City Mayor Adams, who's been out there a little bit complaining to the, the uh, Obama, Obama, the Biden administration about the border crisis because it's costing New York City billions of dollars a year. Now, one estimate is four and a half billion dollars a year. Uh, he is, but he's encouraged people. Oh, he, we should take uh, him into their homes. Don't you remember Eric Adams when this all started? He said, I'm going to show Ron DeSantis and Abbott and all these uh, border governors and states. I'm going to go meet them at the bus station, shake everybody's hand. Welcome. Yeah. We have hotels for you. We have food. We, and we're going to give you instant parity with the lower middle class of them. And that's what he did. And that's what they were supposedly going to do in Chicago. That's what they were supposedly going to do in Martha's Vineyard. And it just everybody understands one thing about the left wing hierarchy. They're never subject to the consequences of their own crazy ideology. They have mechanisms to insulate themselves. So they talk a great game about 550 sanctuary jurisdictions. But that's predicated on they're not down in the real ground. They're not living in Parlier or Orange County, Orange Cove, California or Sanger or my home, Salma, because we can see it here in the Central Valley, six hours from the border. And I would say in my one half mile radius, we had a Fox crew come out here. Laura Lorgan, when she was working for Fox, did a Fox Nation on it. And she went around and she said to me, I haven't seen things like that since I was in Egypt. And I said, I've been in Egypt, too. And what she meant was a farmhouse with trailer one, trailer two, uh, edition three, edition four, potter, pot, pot, porta potty, five, six, seven, uh, 50 people living in a house area zone for one family and dogs with no drivers, uh, no licenses, no vaccinations out in the street, just chaos. That's what happens when you bring thousands of people from the poorest regions in South, the Southern Hemisphere and you dump them with no preparation, no audit, no legality, no English, no high school diploma. And you say, okay, go to it. And it doesn't work. If you want to have legal immigration, you can have a million perhaps, but you have to integrate them, assimilate them, audit them and make them legal. And you should say to an immigrant, what do you have to enhance the United States? Do you know English? Do you have a high school diploma? Do you have some skill sets? Do you have a criminal record? Are you, do you understand that when you come here, you have abandoned your own nation and we're going to imprint in a brutal bargain new values that you deliberately chose on your own? We didn't do it. So if you don't want it, don't come. And we threw all that away. And now we have 
what, six million entries since Biden? And where do you put a that's the size of the greater Fresno area. Where do you put six of them in California or anywhere? It's larger than New York, six million people. It's almost I guess that's greater New York now. Where do you put that whole city? Uh, of people who have are a hundred percent dependent on social welfare program. Well, you put them in the places who wanted it to happen, and we know what those are. They're blue states, and they're pontificating elites who said, "You know what? I feel so good about myself when I drive my Tesla back home, or my Lexus, or my Mercedes, that I am for." Uh, Miss Lazarus, bring me your poor and tired and hungry. I'm so good, but I don't have to deal with it. Maria's my housekeeper. Juan's my landscaper. I give them some used clothes once in a while. I advance, and there, and that's how I love it. But I do not want those people living next to me. You understand that? And if you bust them here, and they're in my kid's school, or they're in my neighborhood, I'm going to get really, really angry and call you a racist. And that's what the, that that's where we are. But it's OK for Mexican-American people on the border who are trying to establish in their schools advanced placement instead of language, second language classes that eat up the ability to get chil children, their children competitive. Or it's OK for people uh, on the border whose grandchildren might not speak Spanish and are targeted by Mexican gangs that come across through an open border, or it's okay for an overstrapped police department in Texas or Arizona or New Mexico that has to deal with cartel members that they're scared stiff of. But that's okay. As long as the people in Palo Alto and San Francisco and Malibu and, you know, Cambridge, Mass., as long as they don't have to deal with it, and you know, they, they're for it. I saw a, a, a report today that in the last six months coming through the border, not, not everyone speaks Spanish, you know. There were 13,000 illegal Chinese. <laughs> I mean, they're coming from all over the world, but I wonder how many, how many CHICOM agents are coming through well, this Well, you course. remember, the, uh, I think it was about, 15 years ago, James Comey said there was 1% of the students. I think there was 360,000 students in the United States, and they thought that at 1%, he was trying to be very liberal when he said that. Liberal in the political sense, like I'm not judging people. And that would have been 3,600 active people. And most of the people that are coming officially are members of the this Sions and, and children or nephews or grandkids communist party members and so there you have it and you can't deal with the left-wing mind on this stanford university deliberately hid about 50 million dollars of contributions that came from communist party affiliated companies it was fined by uh betsy devos's department of education and then we had a member on campus who was a neuropsychologist or neurobiologist who was a member of the, of the I know you're not going to believe this, Jack, but she was a member of the Chinese communist military. And she was posing as a visiting lecturer of neuropsychiatry or neurophysiology. And, they, and she just disappeared. They, they indicted her. And then they just I think they worked out an agreement. And she's just gone. And what did that prompt? And then we had the Confucius Confucius Institutes, which are, right. front, you know, they're fronts for 
communist monitoring of dissidents and such. Right. And that got Stanford professors angry and they signed petitions, you know, don't be so mean to the, I guess, the communist people who were here as agents yeah. spying, spying on dissidents. So it's very hard to, to, to deal with the whole problem. No, China, no, no. I was China. just going to say, Noel Coward had that joke song. Don't let's be beastly to the Germans back in World War, you know, the, uh, World War Two, and there's that same kind of mindset. Let's not be mean to the Chinese to the people. Got to re they're not clumsy, stupid Russians. Russia offends people. You turn on any movie t like Taken or you name it, any of these action hero. Hollywood has a typecast white supremacist russian oligarch covered with tattoos kind of like those uh the equalizer you know denzel washington this denzel washington movies where he's the kind of the equalizer and right. every one of the villains yeah. is some white guy covered with orthodox tattoos missing teeth psychopathic russian not so with china they control hollywood they tell them exactly you know we don't want too many black people in your films because our people are racist and they won't watch it. So cut them back. And they did. Uh, or they tell them, well, you're going to you're not going to portray China that way. Sorry. And then during COVID and everything, they have their megaphones. They say, you're a racist people. Remember the yellow peril? Remember the Japanese internment? Remember all the way you treated Asians? You're racist. Ra this is the most racist society in the world right during the first weeks of COVID. Remember they had McDonald's in Beijing which said no Africans allowed. Yeah. In yeah. If you were black and you were in, in China and you had uh, COVID time, you were screwed. Yeah. And you go into Africa where they have their Belt and Road initiative. They have enclaves where they eat, sleep separate from the black population. They don't want any. They're, they're racist. And yet they channel into the woke movement and call us racist and they get and what, why do they do that, everybody? They do that because they are systematically stealing military technology through their student consortia. They have joint ventures where they dump money. Uh, they dump, they dump product. They fix their currency rates. They steal patents. They steal copyrights and they get away with it because of this propaganda. And when you have, you know, Stephen, what was his name? That coach of the Warriors, Stephen Kerr, was it his name? I forgot yeah, his name. And he he gave us a lecture about when people criticize China, and he said, "Oh, they don't have mass shootings. <laughs> no, they just have a million Wakers in a concentration camp. Right? They're just Bill cutting out their uh, kidneys and selling yes. them. <laughs> yeah. And so when you have the NBA people, you have LeBron James that can't sneeze without criticizing the United States. He puts on his Malcolm X glasses and he gets pictured reading." you know, some radical liberation theology for public consumption. He gets takes a knee or he doesn't want to. And then you mentioned China, that guy, and he won't say one word over that dictatorial murderous government because they pay him over. I don't know. It's a lifetime contract, probably of endorsements by companies with joint ventures in China. It's worth a billion dollars to him. Yeah. So that that's something the left. It has a it, it, it's China fits into their race class or they don't you say class, their race and gender wokeism. China's woke, they think, because they're a commies and they're supposedly non-white and they're no different than the Russians. But the Russians are ultra white and they're right wing thugs. 
And if you're a left-wing thug and you kill a lot more people than Putin did, the Chinese are killing more people than Putin did. I mean, that's just, just the think way how is. appealing the Cultural Revolution or the Red Guards are to to so many of the woke. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's yeah. Just, that is so funny. When I went in, my dad was like this old cold warrior, you know, and. He'd been a football coach. He'd been a farmer. He was a community college administrator. And he took me up to UC Santa Cruz to the dorm in 1971. We walked in and there's this guy. Uh, I, he was out of central casting and he had like spaghetti arms and he had a scraggly beard. And you know that that voice of the 60s, but maybe it's still at that. Well, yeah, I'm sure you'll go ahead. Give us an yeah. invitation. Wow. You know, and I am taking Nobby Brown's course, that kind of stuff. And he had a little beret with a red <laughs> with a red, uh, you know, with a really red palm on it. Or? <laughs> yeah. Well, a red star on the, oh, his, okay. his, yeah. his uh, beret. And then on the side, yeah. he had a picture a little steel button with Mao. And so my dad goes, wait a minute. Has that guy got that commie murder Mao on his beret? I said, yes. He goes, well, who is he? Is he a Cuban or what? And I said, no, he's a student, dad. What the hell has he got a communist Mao? Didn't that guy kill millions of people? I said, yes. As much as I knew at 18. And that was the whole thing. It was all a, a charade, you know, that the left just idolized. Remember that... What was her name that the uh, Obama public relations, I think she's working for Biden now. And she told she gave an inspirational class, uh, speech when she said one of her greatest heroes was Mao. <laughs> yeah. And they fired her. <laughs> well, look, and, uh, you know, half the students in uh, in the world walk around with Che Guevara shirts yeah. on. And he was uh, they should realize racist. He was, he was a racist. He was a homophobe. And he was not just a mass killer he enjoyed killing people he loved to take the revolver and shoot the brains out himself yeah he was a total thug criminal and you know what else all you admires he was a spoiled brat of the upper classes just like castro was and he was a racist he was lily white like castro and that's what people should realize about those revolutions they were run by the intelligentsia and the privileged classes yeah. And and they were ruthless. They loved to kill people. Yeah. And well, thrilled to it. Satanic. Victor, we've run out of time. And uh, but we got to do one thing. One thing at the end of this these podcasts, we like to thank our listeners for listening. And no matter what platform you do that on, great. If you happen to do it on iTunes or Apple, you can leave a zero to five star uh, rating of, of the uh of the podcast and most people leave a five the we have a 4.9 plus average so thank you very much to, for those who do that and we're glad you of course we're glad that you uh you like what you're the wisdom victors uh doling out here now four times a week sometimes five times a week some people leave comments write comments and leave them we do read them we appreciate you taking the effort here's one and it's titled field without dreams I started to listen to the Victor Davis Hanson show because his reasoning on the uh, on the Tucker Carlson show caught my ears. Then he talked about my beloved uh, San Joaquin Valley. I was born in, in Lodi. Grapes grew commercially out my bedroom window. I worked in the in the packing sheds too. Oh, the joy I'm getting from reading Fields Without Dreams. Thank you 
from a forever learning student. I graduated from the university at 51 years old. Love your stories and analysis of life. Spring Lodi. I say that right. Is it Lodi? Is it Lodi? Stuck in Lodi. Remember? (laughs) Creedence Clearwater. Clearwater Revival. I won't won't incriminate anybody, but there was a relative of mine who was with a bunch of hippies and they sawed down the sign, I think, in 1969, Lodi, California, and put it in their dorm room because that was kind of a cult. And oh, yeah. Don't incriminate my, this. I think the statute of limitations is. And I, I know that my lawyer mother got so angry that she told this person when she heard about it, she went ballistic. But uh, but I, that was a problem in Lodi that they would steal all the signs that say Lodi because of that big hit stuck in Lodi. Uh, well, God bless mama. It's a very, uh, it's a very, it's a very nice community, by the way. Um. Sh- Sure, it is. I've never been there. someday. Yeah, I've got. I've got I like Selma, despite the things you say about it. But that's. I, I uh, like. I. Well. You live. I, I have mixed loyalties. My father's from the Swedish town of Kingsburg. I've been there, that, yeah. and my mom's from the Selma town. Of, yeah. In the old days, it was Selma was Danish and Kingsburg was Swedish, and uh, now in the old old days, and now um, I don't know. There's no such tribalism anymore but i by volition live in selma i prefer to live here than palo alto and partly of its cost but not part of it i'm kind of chained and anchored to this yeah part of the yeah part of the land but uh i i do associate far more with people from selma and kingsburg than i do from palo alto i would hope so (laughs) yeah All right, Victor, thanks for all the wisdom you've shared. Thanks, folks, for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.